Hey, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is the third part of a series called Jumanji. And remember, we're talking about Mouse Finbar, whose nickname was Fridge in the real world. That's one of the characters in Jumanji. And we're also talking about Nicodemus from the New Testament and Moses from the Old Testament. So if you haven't listened to part one or two, uh, make sure you go check those out first or this won't make much sense, if it makes sense at all, but hopefully it does. All right, let's get started. Some of life's tests may have already passed you by, but another will come. And even if you responded poorly in past tests, you can react differently, differently in the future. You can change. So this is where Lady Gaga is wrong. Um, she was not, quote, born this way. Um, she was not born wearing a meat suit and starved for fame. She chose that path. Uh, so the song Born This Way is always kind of interesting because there was, you know, she was not exactly that way. Uh, she was born with an amazing talent, yes, and I enjoy a lot of her songs, but the meat suit did not form on Lady Gaga in the womb or afterwards. Uh, that was a bolt-on aftermarket addition. So um, likewise, you were not born uh, as like a drunk or a sex-obsessed person or as feeling like you're not good enough or quick to anger or food crazed. Um, all of those things you either were, you allowed it to happen to some degree um, or things happened that made you believe that. So you chose those patterns just like I did for certain things. Um, God did, did not make you surf porn or drink Jack Daniels or post mean comments online. That's not how you were born. Um, we're guided to those ideas um, we're guided to the idea that we were born in certain states and which is which is the greatest lie in our world today. It's selling this um, and it has massive reach and power through the media. So while you may have done bad things in your past and yes, we are fallen creatures, we also have free will. If you are convinced that you can't change, that you can't control what thoughts enter your mind, then you have lost what it means to be human because we are body and soul with free will. Um, we are the gatekeepers of our thoughts. So while we are born with the instinct to do, in many, time, in many cases, the wrong thing, we don't have to do the wrong thing. We choose it. And we do so because someone or something is suggesting and inviting us into temptation. And that is the job of modern marketing, in case you were unaware. The notion to pick up your phone and go to a porn site is a thought that you allow to enter your consciousness because you are convinced that it's harmless, that it doesn't hurt anyone, and that it's all natural instinct, you have just walked your free will right into the trap. The choice is made, but a different choice could have been made. There is nothing natural about picking up a phone and looking at nude people on, on a website. There's nothing so objectifying and cheapening to human beings than to see them as nothing more than gyrating pleasure monkeys who can titillate your base desires. And there's nothing so damaging to your existing relationships with actual people than to satisfy your need for interaction with images on a screen, which is not even interaction. And, and while real people around you who want love and respect, they're probably sitting in another room near you, occupying the same house or apartment as you do. But you're choosing to use that device for something like that, 
something negative, something objectifying of people when you could use it instead to call your mother. So there is good uses of the phone. You just have to make sure you're using it for the right purposes. We can rip out the old thoughts and plant a garden of good thoughts that lead us to Christ. But first you have to choose it. What you have been told is that you were born this way because the entertainment and advertising worlds transmit that thought to you constantly because you are a consumer and a customer. I mean, you were raised, we were raised with this in the schools. Um, being a consumer or a customer, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, all of these things are, what do I need? What do I want? How can I serve myself? But realize that two companies that are selling you things, you, you are not a person to them. If you think you are, then they're doing a really good job of fooling you. Convincing you that you do not have free will is their full-time job. You are a data point, a row in a database, an object. I've been in meetings where these discussions happen. It is looking at a chart, not people. They will never try to remind you that you were made in the image and likeness of God and that you have free will. Believe me, that is not on their agenda. If they can sell product with that, they will use it. But that's the only purpose. They will never tell you that what you are searching for is rest or for peace or for something to fill the emptiness you feel on Sunday nights at 1130 when you can't sleep on a Sunday night. So if they tell you that, you will likely stop pursuing the accumulation of goods and services and achievements. So they want you walled in with your fear and pride because then you receive their transmissions. That's what you allow in when you're hiding. What you receive, what you allow to enter your thoughts becomes what you believe. And if you doubt this, if you doubt this, sit quietly in a room with no sound, no phone, no books, and no TV, total silence, and give it 15 minutes and see what thoughts enter your mind. What enters your mind will be telling for you. It will be a song, an insult from someone, an idea, a political issue, definitely a news issue that comes up. It could be an issue at your kid's school, a grudge you hold against someone. It could be a product, a food, a drink, a TV show, and an, or, or a, again, a news story that irritates you. Distractions will come. They will come flooding into you because the thoughts you allow in are what your mind and your soul are gnawing on. To be free today, to be the curator of your own thoughts, you must take action. It requires effort. Believe it or not, a lifetime of pop culture and subliminal messages can be boxed up and moved out of your head, but you have to take action to do it. The best way to break free is to start now. And you can say and repeat that simple Jesus prayer constantly to do it. This is the prayer. It's one line. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I would encourage you to say it now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then say it again. And then say it again. Pause your reading or listening right now and say it five times slowly. Okay, welcome back. I doubt anyone did, but um, if you did, that works. You know, if you make that prayer, the default thought in your head as a rolling meditation, and it will be like Jesus is in your mind, cleaning up your soul. 
when you say that prayer, he is flipping tables in your temple. He's in there cleaning house and chasing out the cattle and the money changers. He's like serve pro or one of those service master uh, smoke cleaning services after a fire where they come into the house and clean everything up. That little prayer alone can chase out all the cattle and shame the money changers. And soon you will be sweeping a tidy floor. All of the garbage begins to leave when that prayer becomes the song you hear at all times. And for God's sake, literally, for God, put the phone down. Put the phone down and leave it behind. You have to keep doing these practices. Just like any shop floor or school hallway, there's a lot of traffic in your temple. You must be sweeping every day. And it's like with fitness, you don't get fit in a single day. You also don't get saved one day and never have to think about it again. It's not uh, like you you bench 250 pounds and then you can say for the rest of your life, I can bench 250 pounds. You can't unless you keep lifting weights. If someone believes they were saved five years ago and he needs no work today, that is like someone who ran a half marathon five years ago and tells you that he's still fit while you can see his beer gut hanging over his pants. There's work to be done always. Humility and conversion and working on salvation is an active and daily task. So don't be fooled because that is how you slide backwards. Thinking you are done is how cattle and money changers re-enter the temple. So pick your metaphor. You must weed the garden. You must stay fit. You must sweep the floor daily. But you were not born to sin. You were not born this way. You chose to do it. And you'll do it again as soon as you become complacent. Humility is a derivative word of humiliation or vice versa. Humility sounds better because it sounds like a choice. But the full experience is humiliation. And no one wants that. That sounds really bad. And it feels really bad. So why would anyone want that? Well, we don't, but we get to experience it whether we want it or not. And that's why it's so hard for Nicodemus and the characters in Jumanji, because no one in their right mind wants to be humiliated. No one seeks to become helpless or despised or ill or cast out or hated or diseased or beat up or kicked or laughed at or mocked or excluded. Nicodemus is none of these things, and as a Pharisee, he is admired, wealthy, and he's even healthy, from what we can tell. In terms of today, he has it all. He has a job that's respected, he has status in the community, he has a fine education, and good prospects for the future, and like many of us today, because of all this, he will never be born in the Spirit. Well, who, who will be born? Well, who does Jesus say will be born in the Spirit? Or who will enter the kingdom of God first? Or will understand it first? He says the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to change. But he's not sending back the RSVP. Nicodemus could take up his cross, but he won't. He could reject his status and power, but it's not registering. And probably not the least bit inviting to him. He believes in his own righteousness too much, just like the Israelites did before the snake bite in the desert with, when Moses had to heal them, and just like the Jumanji characters before the game begins. 
what the story of the bronze serpent raised up and the story of Jesus raised up on the cross have in common becomes apparent after you compare the two stories. I find that it helps to think of both of these images of the bronze serpent on the signal pole and Jesus on the cross. And this is why I don't like bare wooden crosses, ones that lack the body of Christ. The risen Jesus was never hanging on the cross. So you'll see that these images of Jesus with his arms out, rising up, kind of hovering outward from the cross. And I understand the artist's vision, the artist's vision, or I think I do. They want to merge the death with the resurrection. And, the sim and in that image of the cross with the risen Jesus sort of floating off it, the symbol of torture becomes the symbol of hope. So yes, I, I totally get that. I get it. Uh, there's no way to heaven except through the cross. We're merging the ideas. Uh, there is no resurrection without the death. I get it. The artist wants to merge the pain and suffering with the hope and the glory. So I don't mean to imply these are bad. Uh, bring on this all sacred art. I'm all for that sacred art. There, there are so many amazing portrayals of Christ that, yes, it is great. Um, these are beautiful statues. And, um, but now I'm going to say why I don't like those. Uh, it's to see the purpose of his death. I think we are meant to see that death itself. The crucifix with the crucified Jesus, where his head is hanging down and his body's sagging and the wounds are clear with the nails in his hands and his, and his feet, um, with the crown of thorns on his head, with the spear gash in his side, with the whip marks on his legs and back, with the emaciated and dehydrated body, with all of that suffering and pain, that is what sin looks like. That is what it looks like. As I've mentioned before, you can imagine the writhing and squirming pain that happened on that cross for three hours, three hours. The image almost becomes like a serpent if you meditate on it in that it's awful to look at because the ugliness of it is undeniable and it is a sickening image to press into but that is where we have to go into that suffering and pain that's three hours 180 minutes of brutal pain and mockery and thirst before getting to the words where jesus says it is finished so i think that's what we must see it's what we have to look at and witness. Uh, like the Israelites looking up at the cause of their pain, so must we look up at the cause of ours. Did Christ cause our pain? No. What did? Sin. Sin caused your pain. God did not cause your pain. Our sin, yours and mine, caused it. We are all in this together in that way. We are all made in the image and likeness of God and we are all fallen. It's incorrect to say that my sins only affect me or that I don't do anything to hurt anyone else. We all hurt each other. There's a popular saying going around today that goes like this. It's hurt people hurt people. So it's, it's, it's a cool saying because it has a lot of meaning and it's, it's the same two words over and over or twice. Hurt people hurt people. And it's true. It's accurate. The only problem is we've all been hurt. So... There's oftentimes people will be talking about someone who's acting up or acting a certain way. And then we say, well, he's, he's a hurt person. She's a hurt person. So hurt people hurt people. The problem is we've all been hurt. So when we just project it onto someone else, we're pretending that we don't have the same issue. We usually trot this line out to explain someone else's behavior. 
Uh, we want a reason um, to examine their flawed actions. But all of us have been hurt, and all of us have hurt others. The great mistake we are making today is to pretend that our actions are sinless and that we have no flaws. We like to act like Nicodemus and the Israelites before the snake bite. To make sense of this, we need to see our flaws. We must look up and accept our shortcomings and defects and weaknesses because what we thought was strength was weakness. And then we need to offer that up to God. We offer it up and say, please take this from me. I can't help this alone. I can't solve this alone. I can't do this. If we acknowledge our weakness and sins, well, then we have to name them and that you can stare up at them if you like. Um, one way or another, you have to deal with them. Uh, to feel them staring back at us is actually a good start. And that's what, when you have the crucifix on that cross with the body of Jesus, we can see what it is that has bitten us. What has bitten us? It's the serpent is sin. And the body of Jesus shows us our sins, all of them. What has brought us pain and suffering in this life? What is, what is the cause of the struggle? We're never very concerned about God when our strengths are getting us what we want, but we are very quick to blame God and we become desperate for a solution from God when our usual fixes and band-aids stop working. To be reborn, you must look upon the weaknesses and you must nod in agreement. You have to admit them. True self-knowledge is this. You are not perfect and you will never be perfect. More importantly, the day is coming when you cannot save yourself and no one around you can save you either, including doctors. The coach that told you uh, how strong you are, um, the coach was lying. <laughs> the advertisement about you being flawless was just selling a product to hit a quarterly goal. The song about the fierceness and the, and the fight in you didn't account for your weakness. But life will raise them up for you to see someday those weaknesses, those strengths and weaknesses, someday, somehow, somewhere along the way. The instrument of torture that the Romans used was a piece of wood. But what was raised up and put on the wood is the embodiment of our sins. God came to us here in the form of Jesus, and he allowed us to see what sin does, what it looks like, and how vulgar and ugly it is. And we were able to see true goodness in the life of Jesus in the Holy Family. And then we were shown the wretchedness of what our sin does through his passion and death. God came here to make clear what we cannot easily see. In the church, we believe that the sacraments make what is invisible, visible. Jesus on the cross makes the invisibility of our sins fully visible. And when we deny that we have sin, we, we deny God. God doesn't disappear when we deny him or deny that sin exists. No, he's still there. We go down the path of self-harm thinking that we have it all figured out, that we have no flaws. And then the flaws flourish and lead us directly to the place where we have to acknowledge what we attempted to flee or ignore. The funny thing is that we can talk about God all day, just like Nicodemus, like me here. Um, but if we deny that we have weaknesses, then we cannot know God. This is what God came here to show us. That's why Jesus came, because the other signs and metaphors and prophecies weren't enough. They weren't quite getting through. The pain and suffering of Jesus, who is God, must be witnessed, because he has everything that was good, true, and beautiful 
and we killed him, and we'd do it again. Except we won't get a second chance, because the second arrival will be like lightning across the sky with no time to react or respond. We cannot fathom how the second coming will be, just as no one aside from the prophets could have imagined how the first coming would happen. Although they had ideas, they were leading to it, obviously. That's one of the strangest things about the Bible. You may argue that uh, New Testament writers chose things out of the Old Testament to fit the narrative. You can argue that, but you can't argue that things that were written 600 years before the New Testament are not very strangely and eerily accurate as to how Jesus came to us. That's one thing you can't argue. God walked among us, and in our sins we rejected him, just like we do every day. And to be healed, we must look upon our error and admit it. Without this admittance, we cannot be healed. We can't be born in the Spirit. We're like Nicodemus looking at God, like he's our little brother instead of our father. It's almost like Nicodemus wants to pat Jesus on the head. We think we're in charge, but we're not. In order to love God and to love one another, we have to see our own failures and weaknesses in their fullness. Believing requires that we admit our flaws. This is exactly why Jesus tells the Pharisees that the prostitutes and the tax collectors will enter the kingdom before anyone else. Why? Well, they are in open rebellion. <laughs> they are in open rebellion against God, and they are, or they are despised by the world. It's kind of both in some cases. So what are they? They're dangerously close to hitting bottom, to reaching the state of helplessness that is required to be born in the spirit. Today, the prostitutes and the drunks and the mentally ill are still the ones that find the kingdom. And many of those people that you don't like today will find the kingdom before you because they are, like Dante, heading all the way down to the bottom. All the way. And as long as they don't get stuck on one of the rings of hell and stay there, they will make it. And they will make it before a lot of people who are like Nicodemus, who cannot give up the pri their pride. That's why the prostitutes and the tax collectors make it. They understand that the kingdom of God is among them, among us, that the kingdom of God is here because they've gone to the very bottom. Whereas people who have it all together, who have money, house, uh, a lot of maybe patriotism, they're, they're worshiping other things. They haven't gone all the way down. They're clinging to something. And I can have, I could go on for an hour about things that I, I was clinging to, maybe that I'm still clinging to. And that's the danger. You're still clinging on to something and you haven't fully surrendered. So you should wake up every morning and say, I surrender to you, God. You do the morning offering prayer, something like that. So what we do if we don't make it to the bottom, we risk remain in hell without, without getting to the full impact of helplessness. And that's what we really want and need because once you get to that state, that's where you can rest. You'll pop out the other side. You're born. You cannot get to the mountain of purgatory without going all the way down into the inferno. And just like you cannot get into heaven without going through the cross. And this is what the end of the movie Jumanji shows in the transformation of the characters. They entered detention as mostly unlikable people. They went down into the inferno in the video game and through the ordeal, the characters have all been reborn into the world. Through that pain, they are changed. 
and they will never be the same. Why not? Because they went all the way down. They went all the way to the bottom and saw their hideous flaws in the light of their vulnerability. All of them died in the game and received a second chance. There was mercy. They experienced the fear of death and they came to understand loss and loss of each other. Through that journey of pain and suffering and rebirth, they came to believe. In their helplessness, they found the jewel of faith. That's like the pearl in the parable of the merchant and the pearl. He finds the jewel, the pearl, and he sells everything he owns in order to, to keep it because he's so overjoyed. So the characters in Jumanji, they believed in this mystery and the miracle, and they made it back. When someone says they don't believe in God because of the pain and suffering in the world, you can assure them that no one ever comes to believe in God unless they have suffered in some way, unless they are specially gifted. Usually there's some kind of thing that leads them to it. The faith of a child becomes lost in adulthood, and often it's only through pain and suffering we can return to that childlike faith and be reborn in the spirit. Spiritual birth comes by pain, just like physical birth. And that is how you can be set free. And that is how you can find rest. And that is how you can find peace. That is how you can come to know God. And that is the only way that anyone is ever set free. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.